Palm Sunday, what an awesome opportunity to praise the Lord. And maybe in ways that, uh, certainly I don't think palm branches are typically part of our custom or culture here. I, I would have brought more palm branches like this, but this was the only frond that the palm tree in my backyard was able to produce. So, uh, you know, I'm glad the kids got some as well, but I would share with you another verse that also speaks to the Old Testament reading. And I don't know if you found that odd or not. The Old Testament reading spoke about the Feast of Booths. And so this is part of it. This was a feast. As you heard, one of the three that the people of Israel were to observe annually. And it was God's command through Moses that also said this. The Lord said, and you shall take on the first day of the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Wow. Palm branches. And branches of all kinds of trees were commanded by God to be used in rejoicing, in celebrating. That was God's plan and command. Now, it wasn't for the Feast of Booths that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. Rather, he was coming into Jerusalem ostensibly to celebrate one of the other three festivals, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which would culminate in the Passover. But more about that later. But as he entered into Jerusalem, it was a time of celebration and victory. And did you notice one of the main reasons why the crowd was so excited to see Jesus is because not only had some of them heard him preach, maybe they had um, seen him do a miracle of healing or multiplying fish and, and uh, bread, but it was the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. The fact that Jesus had raised someone from the dead, you may have noticed that in the reading, that's why so many wanted to see this prophet, this rabbi, was he indeed the Messiah? And so as Jesus approached Jerusalem, and as he entered in, that crowd came out to him, and as he passed by, they were indeed waving palm branches, cutting branches of palms and taking their garments and palm branches, laying them on the road so that he would have a way to walk, to have his donkey ride on. And then, of course, waving those branches, Hosanna, blessed is he, even the king of Israel. Well, as Jesus passed, as he followed the road to Jerusalem, and as he heard those praises, hard telling for sure what was going through his mind, 
I'm sure on the one hand, reveling in the, the praise of people, but at the same time, recognizing that very few, if any, would even know what he had come to do. That this road of victory would go to the road to the cross. And how fickle the praises of Palm Sunday would seem in retrospect. But as mentioned, it was the Feast of Booths that Jesus certainly growing up as a, as a boy, a young man, and as an adult man in, in Israel would have gone, again, presumably with his father, perhaps other men from Nazareth, and, and go to Jerusalem to celebrate this Feast of Booths. Now, what was the point of this Feast of Booths besides celebrating and rejoicing? Well, God actually commanded this feast to happen even while the Israelites were in their journey from Egypt, the land of slavery, and on their way to the promised land. And as they needed to, because they were on the move, they weren't in their home yet. During those journeys, they basically, for lack of a better term, had to camp. Now, I would bet there's many of you that like to go camping. Boys and girls, I'm guessing many of you like to go camping. Adults, parents, uh, grandparents, whoever it is, you love to go camping. It's an awesome thing, isn't it? It's a change of pace. It's a different life. But in a tent? Again, God bless those of you who like sleeping in tents. That's a, even another step of camping. But how long do you do it for when you do it? Maybe a week, a couple weeks? Imagine doing it for a year. I know some people have lived in their travel trailers while they're building their house or something like that. And many of them will, can't wait to get into the real home, of course. But imagine living camping for a year or 10 years or 40 years? You see, those were not easy days for the Israelites, but at the same time, God wanted them to not forget their wilderness wanderings. And that's where the Feast of Booths would come in. God said, when you get into the promised land and I designate the place where this should all happen, we know now that that, of course, was Jerusalem, but when you get there every year, you're supposed to come to Jerusalem and you will erect booths, tabernacles, tents. And you will bring branches of all kinds of trees, but also of palm branches. Now, most likely in the wilderness wanderings, as they built their tents, among other materials that were used for the covering... It seems pretty apparent that they would make use of branches and leaves to provide shade from, the, from the, the hot sun of that region. And that it was God's provision that enabled them to camp 
for 40 years. Can you imagine taking enough food and water to last for 40 years? Well, of course we can't. That's impossible. But what did God do? When they were hungry, God sent this bread from heaven, manna. And when they complained of having only bread to eat, he sent quail that would come so that they would have meat. And then when they needed water, if they didn't find it in the normal ways from springs or, or bodies of water, God would provide it in miraculous fashion. We're told that their garments did not tear, their sandals did not wear out for the 40 years. You see, as difficult of a life as it may have been to wander and to camp, God also let them know in no uncertain terms that he was there to provide, to care for them, to sustain them during that season of their history. And so the Feast of Booths, was intended that the people would never forget of how God provided for them and how it was a necessary part of their history to go from slavery into the promised land. So Jesus would have known all of those accounts. He would have participated in the Feast of Booths and celebrating with palm branches. There's another feast that the people were supposed to come for. And you may have heard that. There was the, the Feast of Weeks, it was called. The Feast of Booze, but also the Feast of what is known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which culminates with the Passover. And it was actually that feast that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for. Now, if you recall the history of the Passover, that too was part of their history from when they went from Egypt to the promised land. And when they were in slavery, the Pharaoh, the ruler of the Egyptians at the time, did not agree to have his slave labor just get up and go. And so God worked a series of plagues. You can study those in the book of Exodus, of course. But the 10th plague, the final plague, the plague that would actually spring them was that of the Passover. And in that instance, God commanded Moses to tell the people that at the right day of the month, at the specific day appointed, at the right time of day, at twilight, each of the families, the households of the Israelites were to take a lamb, a perfect and unblemished lamb, and at the right time they were to sacrifice it, and they were to gather some of the blood of that sacrifice and actually put it on the doorposts of their homes I'm not sure if palms were part of that process of, but you could see how effective of a paintbrush that palms could be perhaps as they put the blood on the doorposts of their homes. And that night, God would send the angel of death. And the angel of death would bring just that, death, to each household, to the firstborn male in every household. However, 
If the angel of death were to come to a home that was marked by the blood of the lamb, then the angel would, boys and girls, can you say it with me? That the angel, when they, the angel of death would come to that home and would see the blood of the lamb, the angel would pass over and there would be no death, no harm to those inside. You see, when Jesus came, he had come to fulfill his role as the perfect once-for-all sacrifice. Now, the Feast of Booths happened at the end of the year. After the harvest had come in, we heard about the produce coming in, the wine press, and, and all of that. So this was more like in the fall, October-ish. And not long after that was another sacred day that the Lord had commanded them. And so in the Old Testament worship system, this other day also served very significantly, and it was called the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur is the Hebrew for it. And that would be the day in which the high priest would be able to go into that portion of the temple or previously the tabernacle. And that would be the only day of the year that the priest would be able to go in what was called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. There would be the Ark of the Covenant that had the Ten Commandments and so forth. If someone tried to go into the Most Holy Place other than on that day, there would be death. But on the Day of Atonement, God said, bring two goats to the priest and have the people confess their sins and share before the Lord their, their sins and their faults and have the priest hear that confession and then take one of the goats and have the priest place his hands on that goat to transfer the guilt of the people onto that goat and then send that goat into the wilderness to wander and eventually die. If you've ever heard of the term scapegoat, that is precisely where it comes from. Somebody who takes the blame, in this case, a goat literally takes the blame of the people and carries it away. The other goat was to be sacrificed in the traditional manner, and the blood of that goat would be used to allow the high priest to go into the most holy place. If he didn't go in with the blood of the sacrifice, he would not be able to enter. But with the blood of the sacrifice, he was able to approach the very presence and dwelling place of God. Well, wouldn't it be great to have a goat that you could confess your sins to? And I'm talking all of them, not just the ones that we kind of admit to in public or maybe even to ourselves, but the ones that are truly there, the ones that we know and perhaps nobody else does. Wouldn't it be cool to take a goat and to place your sins on that goat and send it away? In the same way, wouldn't it be amazing 
if there was a lamb whose blood would preserve and protect you from the angel of death? You see where this is going. That's precisely who Jesus was and what he came to do. Those praises of Palm Sunday, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, were indeed short-lived, weren't they? Whether it was the same crowd who then changed their cry to crucify on Good Friday, or whether they just chose not to get involved, whatever the case was, when their king went down the hard road. Not the road of victory, but the road of suffering and grief and guilt and pain and sorrow. Nobody followed. They were not quick to say, he's our king. In fact, they wanted to dissociate as much as they could. I wonder sometimes whether or not that on the one hand, we have so many opportunities to give thanks to God. When we remember his providence, his provision for us, whether it's the simple meat and bread and drink that we have, whether it's our clothing and shoes, whether it's our house and home, family, all of our possessions, we have so many things to celebrate and rejoice Nearly every week we have people of our congregation asking that their prayers of thanksgiving be included so that the whole congregation can celebrate and give thanks with them. Whether it's a birth or a birthday, whether it's a wedding or an anniversary, whether it's recovery from, he from illness or surgery. And so we're good and appropriate to give thanks to God. But I wonder... How often are those praises and thanksgivings and the pledge to see Jesus as our king, I wonder how short-lived they might be or how self-serving they may be when we discover that our king wants us to follow him down the road of the cross. Aren't we encouraged and invited that Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me? Does he not promise that there will be hardships, persecutions, difficulties, hatred towards those who call on Jesus? Does he not predict that there will be very, very difficult times for those who follow him? And how many times don't we say, I don't really have time for that. Hey, Palm Sunday, I'm good. I'm there with you praising, but Good Friday? Boy, <laughs> uh, that's really not very popular. And it doesn't really fit with my schedule. It doesn't fit with how I want to live my life that if it gets difficult to be a Christian, to have the discipline of, of worshiping, praising, of praying to God and every day saying, Lord, thank you for this day, no matter how difficult it is, how shallow do our praises and thanksgivings sound to our King? But thanks be to God 
That is precisely why Jesus came to receive the praises, but to walk the journey to the cross and to experience and to take upon himself our sins, to shed his blood so that the angel of death, Satan, death itself, would have no power over us and that we would indeed be on our way to the promised land. You see, that's where we're going. And along the way, yes, the road of the cross, but every time there's an opportunity to give thanks, to celebrate and rejoice, let's do it. But not with self-serving, shallow thankfulness and praise, but with that which is informed by the victory that is ours because of the cross. Yeah, let's... Praise the Lord, Hosanna. Boys and girls, let's say it again. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.